Hi everyone, my name is Ara. And my name is Maisha. And you're listening to That's What They Said. Where we break down the them versus us narrative. Before we begin today's episode, we want to thank you for all the love and all the support that we've received on the first episode. The response has honestly been so amazing and the feedback has been so helpful. So keep it coming. We really want to know what you think about it. We want to hear any feedback. And if you do like what you hear, just follow us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And for updates, you can follow us up on Instagram. Our handle is That's What They Said. So coming to today's topic, I think anyone who is or has been sexually active has experienced an ocean moment mm-hmm. um, for a pregnancy scare yeah. and they're with their partner. It could be because of a broken condom or a missed pill or just stressing out because you missed your period. So moments like that makes you consider that this pregnancy scare that you had, what happens if that actually became true? Mm-hmm then you consider, you know, that you start considering you might not be in the right circumstance. How would you handle it? Would you consider getting an abortion? Or is that out of the question for you? That's what we're talking about today, looking at the pro-choice versus pro-life arguments. Note that we don't have all the facts. We are more focused on the underlying arguments. And what we would really like our listeners to take away from this episode is you could be pro-choice or you could be pro-life and everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Mm -hmm. But in the current status quo, we're looking at a very divisive narrative. It's a very polarized world where we're very, where it's like a pendulum, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going either to very far to one side or to the other. And because you're so polarized, you lose sight of what you're actually fighting for with this debate, right? And Mm -hmm. we'll get into the details. But the objective that we have is that through our podcast episode today, you try to understand the other side a bit better, not change your opinion, but change your perspective about the other side. So we hope you find find it helpful and try to look at the other side in a different way. Yeah. Okay, so let's establish the relevance behind this topic. The pro-choice versus pro-life debate is very relevant today because... Most of us really know about it because of the controversy that's surrounding it. A few states in the U.S. have been passing or have been attempting to pass anti-abortion bills. These include bills which either completely try to ban abortion or bills which try to limit the time frame of access to abortion. So the one that's stricter and tries to completely ban abortion is the one that we have heard about in Alabama. And then the heartbeat bills, which is the one that tries to limit the access to abortion to about six weeks or less, or six mm. weeks to eight weeks. That one is; those bills are usually called the heartbeat bills. Heartbeat bills. Yeah, heartbeat <laughs> bills because um, they try to basically say you should not be having an abortion mm-hmm. past the time when you can hear the heartbeat of the fetus, and that's debatable. That, but that really they, strings your heart. Yeah, that definitely strings <laughs> your heart. Yeah. So the the aim of these bills is basically to regulate when a woman is allowed to have an abortion, which many pro choice people see as a violation of a of a woman's rights to her body. Now, because this is such a controversy in the U.S. and it has been so politicized, this topic has been brought under the microscopic lens throughout the world. While abortion may not be occupying the headlines in other countries, it definitely affects women from all walks of life. So outside of the United States, Canada, Europe, and select other countries, abortion is heavily regulated and banned in majority of the countries, with a few exceptions. So... 
whether these countries allow it or not, the majority of the citizens of these countries, these underdeveloped countries, mm-hmm. they look towards Western countries like the U.S., like Canada, for hopes of progress. Of for hopes, yeah, for hopes that one day, just like the Western world, we will be, we'll have this right as well. But now, with the U.S. having all this controversy and with with these new socially conservative people coming out and trying to pass bills, mm-hmm. it kind of puts everything back a little. Mm-hmm. Not just for the U.S., but also for other parts of the world. So before we get into arguments about pro-choice versus pro-life and the them versus us narrative, we want to give you a little overview of what abortion laws are like in the rest of the world. Right. So as we said at the beginning of the episode, we won't be able to get into all the details. So just a quick overview so you understand, you know, because we all hear about the U.S. laws a lot but from mainstream media. Yeah, that's media. definitely what I'm mostly new about as well. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. And same here. So I think we just want that, you know, people also know that abortion is also an issue in other, in other parts of the world. Yeah. Right? So if you start with, say, in Africa, um, and sorry, I just want to say before that we are looking at the statistics from the Guttmacher Institute's website. Yeah. And uh, the way they classify abortion, they're making it into six categories. So from going from abortion being prohibited altogether to abortion without restriction as to reason. Mm -hmm. So this being absolutely liberal, essentially, no reason, no... uh, No exceptions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if we go like look at through different regions, if you look at Africa, you know, you've got countries like Egypt and uh, Senegal where it's completely prohibited. But you've also got countries like Kenya, where most recently, actually, it was prohibited altogether till uh, only in the last year or so, the Supreme Court ruled that because of a certain case about a 14 year old girl who had a abortion out of uh, rape uh, mm. and as a result of uh, illegal abortion technique because she couldn't access it legally she yeah. it was a backstreet abortion and led to her death and oh all of that mm-hmm. um, which is why the Supreme Court ruled that you have abortion is allowed in the case where the mother's health is at risk mm-hmm. so we are seeing that in different parts of the world laws are changing so that's Kenya that's yeah, exactly so Kenya mm-hmm. was an example if you move to Latin America you've got countries like Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Nicaragua, where abortion is completely prohibited. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you in the mainstream media, actually, we see quite a lot of uh, cases about women in El Salvador who even yeah. go to jails if they do uh, take, if they do an abortion. Yeah, I think that's what the majority of the United <coughs> States women are worried about. Like, if they have a miscarriage or if they do get an abortion, will they be going to jail? Yeah. Right, and mm-hmm. that's a fair concern, right? Yeah. And whereas on the other end of the spectrum in Latin America, you have countries like Puerto Rico, Uruguay, and surprisingly enough, Cuba is on that list where mm-hmm. they will allow women to have, you know, abortion uh, with without restriction as to reason. Yeah. So you've got that variety there. Now, if we move a bit east and if we go towards Asia, uh, in China, abortion was quite accessible and legal. And that was, there was a political agenda behind it because of their one child policy. policy yeah. um, if you move into Australia, um, in Australia, actually, abortion is allowed, like without restriction, no restrictionist reason for up to 22 to 24 weeks, depending on your state, like Victoria or Queensland. But overall, if you look at most laws in different countries where abortion mm-hmm. is allowed in, you know, either for rape or under situation of rape or incest or when there's a risk to the mother's health. Yeah. Two observations. Firstly, the definition of health is getting broadened yeah. to include not just the physical health, but yes. also mental health. Okay. Because pregnancy and unwanted pregnancy can have a lot of mental 
uh, mm-hmm. health consequences on the mother. Yeah. And definitely in today's time, people are more open about talking about and, mental health. Exactly. And mental health is really being considered as an issue that affects a huge number of people yep. and should be taken more seriously. So I'm glad that that's being included. Exactly. So the definition days. is being brought. Yeah. And the second observation being that in most places uh, which do allow abortion in, you know, certain circumstances like rape or etc., where the mother's health is at risk, yeah. they don't allow it like all the way to the eighth or ninth month, mm-hmm. unlike what some people assume. Yeah. I mean, at that point, the fetus is very well developed. So it's, it's, it could be risky for the mother to even have an abortion. Yeah. There's actually a cutoff period. Yes. So it's usually, it varies from 20 to 24 weeks in different countries. Um, if you want to have an abortion after that period of time, a lot of places, like in India, if you want to have an abortion after 20 weeks, you actually need to get two doctor's approval, not just okay. one. So the medical that approval that it's safe for yes, the mother exactly, as well. for the mother. Yeah, and then it's not going to cause it, like whether it's viable at all or not, yeah. right? Um, whether you can actually go through with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the point that, you know, yeah. if it is even allowed after a certain time period, yeah. you have to get approval from your doctors. Mm-hmm. And do- one of the things that the doctor consider is the mother's health, health yeah. which is now both physical and being broadened into considering mental, mental health, which is yeah. a great victory. Yeah, I think the major... the major restriction that I see or the major exception that I see from the restrictions is health of the mother which Mm -hmm. kind of puts my mind at ease a bit more Mm -hmm. with anti-abortion laws because usually when you hear anti-abortion laws you're like no we don't care about anything just the unborn Mm -hmm. but it's good to know that majority of the countries in the world are considering the mother's Mm -hmm. health as a number one priority Mm -hmm. as well Um, but while we're on the topic of India I also read that India allows abortions based on your socioeconomic background Oh, really? So if you are not um, able to support that child because of extreme poverty, which obviously is a very big issue in India, mm-hmm. Bangladesh, and many other underdeveloped countries. Mm-hmm. So that's also a reason that I think is worth mentioning. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, so we'll bring it home a little. In Bangladesh, where we're both from, induced abortion is illegal in all circumstances, except for when the life of a woman is in danger, which we were just talking about is great. Um what they do allow is something called menstrual regulation. This is not something that I was familiar with either. Neither was I. Yeah, before, before, before looking into this more. But it's kind of the government's family planning program to, to obviously, I guess, allow people who cannot afford to have a child. Mm-hmm. And to just reduce maybe the population of Bangladesh because that's, that's definitely... That's a problem, for sure. ...that issue. Yeah, so menstrual regulation is basically a procedure that uses manual vacuum aspiration to make it almost impossible to become pregnant and you you do this procedure say after you miss a period so you don't necessarily know if you're pregnant but there could be a chance that you're pregnant so that's what the government allows menstrual regulation procedure to be conducted because you don't know if you're pregnant so you don't know if you're actually moving a child but yeah so countries like Bangladesh there's still a social stigma around them there's socioeconomic barriers mm-hmm. So even then, many people don't necessarily mm-hmm. use the menstrual regulation procedure that's available, mm-hmm. but it's there. In Canada, which is where we both live right now and somewhere that we consider home, mm-hmm. abortion is allowed without restriction to reason, and there's no restriction to time as well. So essentially, there's a lack of abortion laws in Canada. However, with the controversies and the popularization of the pro-choice, pro-choice versus pro-life debates, many conservative leaders are attempting to bring about abortion laws by, say, supporting and uh, financing conservative MPs, socially conservative MPs. So when you say abortion, bringing back abortion laws, you're so I'm, I'm understanding that it means that to bring back restrictive abortion. Yeah, sorry. Laws. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So not necessarily bring it back, but at least bring the discussion back to the mm-hmm. table. So 
some conservative MPs or conservative organizations go and support and finance conservative MPs mm -hmm. so that this conversation can be brought back to the table. Mm -hmm. But the good news, I guess, or somewhat of a good news, is that Andrew Scheer, who is the conservative party leader, he he has made it clear, or I would say he has made a statement that he does not want to reopen the abortion or, even the, or even the same-sex marriage debate. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to open that debate anymore. He doesn't want to bring that, and he will oppose any measures. In his words, he will oppose measures to reopen mm -hmm. these debates and is confident that his caucus understands that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, a, that's a positive, but you never know, you know? So elections are coming up, so make sure you read up on your local MPs and make an educated vote based on your principles. Yep. Mm -hmm. So on the other end of the spectrum, instead of restrictive abortion laws, there are very, I don't know the word, but very... Very open-minded. Open-minded <laughs> laws. Very open-minded laws. So New York recently passed the Reproductive Health Act. Um, it allows for late-term abortions past 24 weeks, which is what Roe versus Wade, which is the major... The is, landmark case in the U.S. In America, mm -hmm. yeah, that legalized abortion up to 24 weeks. Or up until when the fetus is viable. So now New York passed the Reproductive Health Act, which allows abortions past that time if, say, the woman's life is at risk or if some other reason comes up. So that would mean then that would it be like an abortion, you know, a woman can abort even in, I don't know, Nine 30th? Months, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, yeah, I guess everything's kind of hazy, but many people say that this law was passed or. New York rushed to pass this law because they're afraid that Roe versus Wade would get overturned. And just to put some measures in place in case the Supreme Court does put just over overrule this, that people are still able to get abortions. Yeah. Get access abortions, say, past a certain time when it's absolutely necessary. It's not ne it's not necessarily like let's make it free for all, but more like if Roe versus Wade is taken away, I we want there to be something for a safeguard. Yeah, essentially. Safeguard. But mm -hmm. see, I am I'm personally pro-choice. Yes. But mm -hmm. um, I'm just thinking that, you know, I, I don't know how I would, I don't know whether I'd be comfortable or I understand the notion of, say, aborting, you know, at like your yeah. 32nd or 33rd week. I mean, to me, that seems like you're very far along. Yeah. So you're moving a lot to the left and a lot to the right, essentially, by these bills. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's quite controversial. Um, it's definitely hard to decide. Mm -hmm. But... What they do state, what New York says is that if, say, past 24 weeks, if the woman's life is in danger or if there's some health risk associated, then it would be allowed past mm -hmm. 24 weeks. So okay. that that is there. Mm -hmm. But some people are saying that this is kind of like a radical bill that was just made in reaction to the, say, Alabama, mm -hmm. laws, see, Alabama yeah. law or the heartbeat bills. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, if anything, this kind of shows that we do have some common ground. As a pro-choicer, you and me, we don't mm -hmm. know if we'd be okay with abortions yeah, I mean, past 24 weeks, right? Like in or the sense past... that if it's like, yeah, like if it's like mm. a 36 weeks and you want to board and um, yeah, it, I just don't know how to, how I, I personally just don't know how, how comfortable I'd be with that if yeah. I were to face that choice. Yeah. So late term abortions is definitely a topic where you see some common ground because obviously conservatives don't want to abortion at all. So late term or late term abortions is like out of the question. Yeah. So according to a Gallup poll, which was conducted in August of this year, only 13% Americans support abortion in the third trimester. And that's not a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. small percentage. And that's a, then, you know, mm -hmm. not wanting late-term abortion, that's that's a common ground between yeah. pro-choice so and pro-life. So you can be pro-choice pro <laughs> and, pro and support the woman's 
right to her body, but at the same time, you can be skeptical of have of late term abortion. Yeah, like yeah. Of which pro late term like pro choice yeah. supporters, sorry, pro life supporters are also not mm-hmm. in support of that. Mm-hmm. So some common ground, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a good point. And I think with this, you know, that like we're just giving using American examples, but this applies anywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got. Uh, uh, bills on the left and bills on the right, essentially, right, on mm. two extremes of the spectrum. Now, what these actions, or in this case, you know, reactive decisions, right, like the New York bill that you were saying, it it makes a narrative about them versus us, right? Yeah. So, so if this was a this is actually a reactive bill that New York pub, uh, New York uh, wrote, mm-hmm. then. The thinking would have been possibly be like, you know, Alabama or Georgia published something. We want to protect our right as pro-choice, so let's publish something on our end, right? But if you look at it like that, then you're... So you're thinking, oh, they are doing this, Mm -hmm. so we need... So that's a them versus us narrative. Yeah, it's definitely a them versus us narrative. So it doesn't help looking at... And it takes away from the essential point of this debate, which is there's a child in the picture and there's a woman in the picture. Exactly. It's about their life, not about us being on both ends of the spectrum and exactly. just debating all day. Exactly. So mm-hmm. if if you, if rather than looking at like a pro-choice and a pro-life perspective, if we just look at what it's about, right? At the end of the day, it is yeah. a woman and uh, her pregnancy that's yeah. at the core of this whole issue, debate, argument, whatever you want to call it, right? So it's important that the two sides engage in discussion, try to understand where the other side is coming from and limit the conversation from being in a them versus us argument because all it does is put you more and more as parallel to each other. Mm-hmm. And two parallel lines never really meet. Nope, nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, we're not there yet. So let's just define the two movements, the pro-choice versus pro-life. And then hopefully one day we will find a common ground, a place where we can all meet but until then (laughs) pro-life or anyone that supports pro-life movement they believe that the government has an obligation to protect all human life regardless of the intent regardless of viability quality of life concerns they yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so all life including not just abortion but they don't believe in assisted suicide they don't believe in say death penalty and they are not supposed to technically believe in war but there are exceptions to that so that's pro-life and pro-choice believers believe that individuals have unlimited autonomy with respect to their own reproductive systems as long as they are not, say, breaching or taking away the autonomy of the others. Mm-hmm. So they believe in basically everything. They believe mm-hmm. in your choice to be abstinence, your abstinent, your choice to use contraception, your choice to have an abortion, or your choice to have a child. Mm-hmm. So they remain that all those choices must remain legal. Mm-hmm. And these are definitions that I got off of Thoughtco, mm-hmm. it's an online reference site. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a good segue to bring in the question of what is at the root of this debate, right? Yeah. Because these fundamentals of the pro-life versus pro-choice, these two sides, the, the root of their argument or yes. their debate is when does life begin? Yeah, that is definitely the if main argument. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, how? what do you consider to as the beginning of life? Yeah. Now... Actually, there is no consensus in the scientific community as to when life begins. Yeah. There is some sections of the scientific community who argue that a life begins when an embryo forms, mm-hmm. which is when a sperm and an egg, egg. and when a sperm fertilizes an egg successfully and an embryo is formed, that life begins. Then some parts of the scientific community says when a heartbeat is fetal heartbeat is detected, which is mm-hmm. at six to eight weeks of the pregnancy, yeah. that's when the life begins. Mm-hmm. Or when a fetus is viable outside 
the womb, which yeah, would be around they can 24 weeks. sustain without the mother. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? Like premature deliveries. So the answer to this question of when life began has changed with time. Yes. If you go back to in the 19th century, yeah. uh, abortion in Britain was legal until the quickening. quickening. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and the quickening is the first time a woman feels her baby's kick, um, you know, is but is they used to consider back then that that was the moment when the baby came alive and yeah. the baby had a soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so over time, scientific and technological advancements have made it possible to see the fetus's development at yeah. earlier stages. Right now we have, you know, we can do ultrasound at an earlier stage. We can, mm-hmm. when you can see the fetus sort of changing yeah. day by day. Yeah. So because of these advancements, you're able to look into that fetal development. Like, think about advancements in fetal surgery, right? Um, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, they have sh- research has shown that reasonably good outcomes can come from preemies born at 22 weeks of pregnancy. Okay. Right? So, uh, that's a lot. So, si- science itself doesn't know yeah. when life begins, Okay. essentially. Yeah, and that makes sense because over time, we do learn new things about something that we believed in back then right mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how we're supposed to develop as mm-hmm. as humanity mm-hmm. right we're supposed yep. to learn from previous beliefs from new discoveries that are made yeah yeah <laughs> so i so i think what's happened with these scientific developments is that two key technologies have pushed that date of mm-hmm. when you think you know when does life begin essentially that question you know the use of steroids now which can speed up fetal yeah. development and surfactants that can prevent lungs from collapsing after birth but still having an absolute cutoff for fetal viability is impossible yeah. like it depends on how you define is it some babies who can half survive fully survive mm-hmm. so According to doctors and scientists, the question of when life begins isn't a matter of gathering more evidence. Yeah. The science has very little to do with that answer. Every iteration and advancement in the lab makes the question even more the purview of philosophers and theologians. Yeah. And in, yeah. in, the, in the current context, lawyers, it <laughs> lawyers politicians, and the public. Yeah. Right? So let's jump into understanding. And this is an approach that, you know, Zara and I thought that would be quite interesting, considering yeah. that, you know, our podcast is about breaking down the them versus us narrative. Mm-hmm. So we're both pro-choice. Yes, we are. And so we want to understand where pro-life arguments are coming from. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a pro-life Canadian organization called Campaign Life Coalition. Yes. So on their websites, and, you know, feel free to check this out. Yeah. Uh, this is an actual website, an actual yeah, organization. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're going to be going through arguments that pro-choice believers have mm-hmm. of pro-life beliefs. So how we're doing this is... So we're um, doing like a bit of role play. A bit of role play, yes. And <laughs> the arguments that we're talking, we actually got this from the Campaign Life Coalition's website. Mm-hmm. So what we're essentially going to do now is Maisha's going to be taking the pro-choice stance and I will be taking the pro-life stance and we're going to go over the major or the key arguments that happen between the two parties. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do is... A pro-choice belief of a pro-life argument and then I the pro-life person will explain why we believe that or why that argument is wrong mm-hmm. yeah okay so very well put thank you <laughs> <laughs> okay so the pro-choice argument number one is we believe mm-hmm. that pro-life supporters want to take away women's rights okay yeah so <laughs> as a pro-life supporter I believe that all life is important, and this includes the life of the unborn. While I believe in women's rights, I disagree that 
pro-life does not support women's rights. Essentially, pro-life is pro-women in our eyes. The reason that we think this is because women are unique. You know, they give birth to a child and they have a certain ability that the child requires or the care that the child requires, which only they can provide. And because of this, there's a stigma and stereotype that women cannot be successful if they have this child because the care that they're providing this child is going to hold them back in their life. So pro-life supporters believe that this stigma and this stereotype should be removed. You can have a child and you can either put the child up for adoption and then move on with your life and go on to do all the successful things you want to do. Or you can have the child and you can get help from your surroundings and you can raise that child and still have a successful life. So by saying that a woman's life is going to be held back by having a child, that's actually a very regressive and patriarchal thought. Okay. I'm glad you brought that patriarchal part. (laughs) Because if you actually see across the world, the pro-life side is led majority of the times by men. And when you think about that, you are not going to be, especially pregnancy is something that it's hard for, you know, a man to say, to understand when you're in the policymaking role, yeah. it's harder for you to understand. So it's, and not just men, they're also women in policymaking role, but it's harder for you to understand if you're not in those shoes. Yeah. Now you mentioned adoption or you mentioned, you know, pulling in from other resources. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's easier said than being done. Because yeah, yeah. if you think about in developing nations, once you get pregnant, um, you could be like a, and you know, let's just, let's just walk actually through an example. Sure, yeah. Um, say for example, I'm a second year student in a university in a developing country. Yeah. And I get pregnant, right? And my question to you would be that this is a second year student in a university. Yeah. Barely 20 years old. Her mm-hmm. life has just started. She lives in a country. It's could be developed, could be developing, but majority of the time in developing nations, there's a stigma yeah. with um, having a child out of wedlock, right? And women get a lot of heat for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the men might not even show up to be a father, or might, mm-hmm. but just how our society is, the women gets the brunt of it. So my question to you is, is given the resources that you mentioned, do you think she can give this child the life she wants? Well, you can put the child up for adoption. And, you know, I understand there's a social stigma behind it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the life of the unborn is more important mm-hmm. than anything. Like, they, you are taking away the rights of the unborn or the preborn mm-hmm. by not even giving that child the option or the mm-hmm. right to live. Mm-hmm. And I say that because we all go through different hardships in life. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be hardships because of the social stigma, because of the lack of resources. But we can, you can always push for more resources. You can seek out more resources. You can Mm -hmm. talk to your family. You can really be honest with your family. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there might be a solution. But if you don't have this child, you are immediately taking away. It's Mm -hmm. right. So the adversities that come Mm -hmm. with the situation you're in, you can work through them. Mm -hmm. But you're still taking away the right Mm -hmm. of the child by not giving it a chance. Okay. Okay. Like... I can I can see that that's a theoretically a very valid point. And you said, of course, you know the 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 right of the unborn and it is um, pregnancy creation of life and all that. It's a huge responsibility on the women. Woman, um, but it's very hard 
for the woman to access these resources that you mentioned, right? I mean, in a hypothetical world where there is no stigma and where there's equality, uh, if a 20-year-old second-year university student gets pregnant, it would be maybe easier for her to get a childcare loan. Like if I was in a policymaker, I'd create a, you know, a loan for young mothers, essentially. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can be in school, create daycare centers, enough daycare centers on campuses so young mothers can put their children yeah. and attend classes. So there's a lot of um, policy decisions that yeah. need to be made yeah, in I order agree. for yeah. this theory to materialize into reality. Yeah, as right? a pro-life yeah. supporter, I agree. And I agree the efforts, the money, the everything needs to be put towards providing resources mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. to be mothers for anyone that gets pregnant out of wedlock or anyone that does has a is about to have a child they don't want there should be resources put in place through policy through society working and if those resources were put in place then that abortion culture would not be as prevalent or we could get rid of abortion culture but what if the woman like you know as i said like i'm a second year old mm-hmm. i'm a second year university student what if this pregnancy is because of a broken condom, you know? So I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I'm a 20-year-old. I just started my life. I don't want this child right now. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mother who doesn't want this child. Yeah. So keeping all these resources aside, yeah. if I were to bring this child into this world, would I be able to give it the love that I would give to a child who I wholeheartedly wanted, mm-hmm. you know, and which was a product from... Uh, a, a, a love or a, a union with the man or the woman um, that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. But I think for, as a pro, as a pro-life supporter, I would say it comes down to a moral or ethical issue as well, as much as it is emotional. If you think of it from a moral or ethical aspect, you are killing a unborn child. You are killing someone who could have a life and you are not thinking of that. And while we support your choices and your decisions, we mainly do not think you have the right to take away the life of another human being. But I I feel like essentially it's not as simple as saying killing the child versus, you know, taking away women's rights. Like we're saying it's pro-life or pro-choice. Like it's more complex. There are external factors in play like financial support, social stigma, whether... I, as the woman who's carrying the child, would want it. So it's important that policy considerations address these different mm-hmm. external factors that have a long-term benefit, right? Yes. Because it is because of the lack of support that there is the perception that pregnancy would hold a woman back if it is not at a time of her life where she can support bringing a new life into the world. Or she wants to, because you you know how you were saying that you morally think that it's about killing a child. Well, I could also argue that, hey, I'm also alive. Yeah. Why is my life being discounted? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the child comes into this world. All these people, you know, who are not part of this issue, by the way, have everyone has an opinion. A lot of pro-life supporters have an opinion, right? But at the end of the day, when I bring this child into the world, I have to raise it. Mm-hmm. I have to worry yes, about it. Yeah. Day-to-day raising it. Uh, how, where it goes to school, primary school, middle school, high school. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to get the money? I have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to point fingers and say this is a, you know this is morally wrong. Yeah. But it's harder when you come down to the reality of it, when you come down to the math of it, yeah. like the numbers. If you crunch the daily life numbers of uh, money needed, time, and effort... I have to do it as the woman who's bearing it. So it's a tough conversation. Yeah, for sure. And no, your points are completely valid. And But 
just to understand the core value of the pro-life mm-hmm. movement, like whether while emotion, while safe circumstance, while mm-hmm. all these things are important and while resources should be there, at the end of the day for us, it comes down to you are taking away the rights of the child. The fact that you can even sit here and discuss your rights, this child cannot. No one is defending it. Okay, so that was one example of an argument that pro-choice supporters have versus pro-life supporters. And it's definitely more complex than that, right? Yeah, Yeah, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing a very simplified version here. Mm -hmm. This is not a simple issue. Uh, As we said earlier, that it took us quite some time to prep for it because it is a very complex issue. So we're, but we're doing a simplified version of an argument here on a bigger on a national platform this issue is much more contentious much more of an of a heated debate yeah so we in no way want to imply that the two sides arguments can be you know this calm yeah because i feel like you know some some listener exactly and neither do we think that you know some people i've seen calm arguments debates but i mean that it it can get yeah yeah. it can get heated right Mm -hmm. but i think to our listeners what we'd like to say is that you should be able to sit down with someone who mm-hmm. has a completely different opinion than you and try to work through it. Yeah. Because if you're not willing to do that, then you're never going to be able to come to a compromised solution. Yeah. You that works for both of you. Yeah. You know, and that and that, and that that's how successful negotiations or successful policy making is. For sure. Yes, negotiation is key. Yeah. That's a good word you use. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's so, just quickly go through. We're going to go through two more arguments. Yeah. Between pro-choice versus pro-life and. Just a reminder, I am also pro-choice, but I am taking the pro-life yeah, uh, yeah, pro-life stance yeah. here, and Masha's taking the pro-choice yeah. stance. Okay, okay. let's go into argument two. Yeah, the second one is, the second one that we pro-choice supporters think uh, is that women will die of unsafe abortions if we don't legalize abortion. Okay, so as a pro-life supporter, I don't necessarily agree with you, because I think that abortion itself is unsafe for women Mm -hmm. you know um more than anything what we need to do is what i think is if we criminalize or if we make abortion illegal and if it becomes criminalized then it will end the abortion culture which is what i mentioned Mm -hmm. in the last argument so when you end the abortion culture people will start seeing it as a more morally or ethically wrong thing to do and not only is it morally and ethically wrong but it also puts the life of the woman at a higher risk Mm -hmm. so there's many side effects to abortion for example abortion surgery and pills can can have can result in death from you know continued bleeding or infection and just to add to that like studies also show that there is a there is a large correlation between suicide and having an abortion women can be extremely affected mentally from having an abortion to keep women from dying we just have to end that abortion culture and we have to create policy and have to create um, the social kind of understanding that we have to support our Mm-hmm. Our neighbors, our other fellow women, or anybody having a child, we have to support them through their pregnancy, whether it's mentally, mentally, physically, whether it's financially. We have to, as a society, end abortion culture and support pregnancy culture mm-hmm. and support the idea that women can have a life outside of their child, can be successful outside of their child, outside of their life with their child. And that way, the unsafe abortions won't be happening. There won't be a need for mm-hmm. abortions outside because mm-hmm. people will just feel like they can have their child, raise it if they want to, put the child up for adoption if they want to. And that's essentially what we're trying to do, just end the abortion culture. Mm-hmm. And end uh, abortions, which is which in itself is unsafe. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, if, 
you know, if if abortion procedure is, you know, harmful for the woman, that I, I wouldn't want the woman to undergo that either. But if you do legalize abortion and you regulate it, there won't be any more backstreet or illegal abortions. A lot of the times it happens now in countries like Malaysia or Bangladesh or India or Kenya is because in these countries where abortion is not as accessible hmm. um, legally, that means that women and girls, I'm talking about even underage girls, right? When they become pregnant, they have to opt for um, underground clinics, yeah. you know, where the envir- where the clinic might not be sterilized, mm-hmm. uh, it might, the medication, the injections, the syringes being used might not be safe. So when you consider all these, uh, all these factors, that actually poses a bigger threat to the woman. Mm-hmm. So what we would rather would tackle this if you actually legalize abortion, then the demand for these underground clinics would go away because people would rather go to a hospital and a proper doctor and then get oh, abortion, yeah. right? Yeah, and then it would also be helpful if... Because once you legalize abortion, then the government can actually legally put resources and allocate it to post-abortion care for women, like mental health counseling. Because you did mention what you mentioned mm-hmm. about abortion, you know, causing some mental trauma for the woman. That's very true yeah. because it's it's difficult. Even if a woman wants, really wants to get that abortion, once you go through the procedure, for you to think that you did at the end of the day stop something in your body that was eventually going to result in a child coming out of you to mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. I, I don't think that was a very elegant way of putting <laughs> it um but at the end of the day that is a mental trauma for the woman and i agree with you on that part so it would help if abortion if you know these women get the postnatal care after abortion but it's hard for the government to allocate resources to that allocate resources to something that's not even legal. Mm-hmm. So maybe legalizing it could actually, you know, make it safer for women. Yeah. And, and and abortion is not something that is, you know, treated very cavalier. You know, it's not like, you know, you would do it every other day. Yeah. Um, so legalizing it yeah. might just, you know, achieve both our goals here clearly about the I, safety of the yeah, women. Yeah, I agree with you that we need to, as a government, we need to protect the the mother, mm-hmm. the woman, or whoever is having a child. I just think it, that allocation has to be different. Like whether we allocate to providing safe abortions, mm-hmm. why don't we allocate it to providing safe resources for women who are pregnant? Um, you know, or allocating that that to just finding a way to help the woman or the person having the child to get through their pregnancy, to be supported through their pregnancy, whether through nonprofit, whether through government, mm-hmm. or whether through just creating the social culture of support mm-hmm. around a woman having mm-hmm. pregnancy, you know? That's, I, that's, I, that's I, what I would say we could do as a government to help. But for to legalize abortion and to aid in the, you know, taking away the rights of a unborn fetus or taking mm-hmm. or killing a child or killing an unborn that is something that we don't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, moving into the third argument that the pro-choice supporters say to the pro-life side is that it is cruel to force a woman to carry a pregnancy which was the result of rape or sexual violence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cruel to force a woman or anyone who's, who, can, who can carry a child to carry a pregnancy which was the result of rape or sexual violence. Well, rape is a horrific act, and the rapist should get... I'm glad we agree on that. (laughs) And the rapist should get a more severe punishment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
I truly believe that the death of an unborn is a cruel and unusual punishment that the unborn is paying for the crimes of her father. Mm-hmm. With that said, you know, rape victims are likely to go through depression and suicide and drug overdose as a result of abortion as well. Because after one trauma of rape, they're going through the trauma of losing a child as well. And in the worst thing to come out of this is not having a child. The worst mm-hmm. thing to come out of this is having another trauma, which is abortion. And, you know, from just statistics... 15 to 25% of rape victims only choose abortion and over 50% choose to go through with that pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It's her child at the end of the day. It's not the rapist's child. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I see where you're coming from, um, that you're saying that not all rape victims would not want to carry a child. They'd rather want that child to be a positive development. And that is true uh, because, you know, I in some cases though this is where i think you cannot generalize because it really depends woman to woman or underage girl even in any in any case so for example i'm thinking about the time this was back in like grade nine um my best friend and i we did a volunteering activity in Bangladesh national women's lawyers association shelter home mm-hmm. in Dhaka, and uh, you know they the shelter home used to house uh, domestic violence victims and human trafficking and sexual tra- sex trafficking victims. And a lot of these women and a lot of underage girls there were either raped or subjected to sexual violence. And a lot of them there we actually saw had a child. Like it could be like a baby or like a couple years old. And I remember, I recall, and now it's just coming into, I'm just as you were saying it, it was just coming back into my mind, that you know we did talk to some victims and... Their person, the way they looked at it was, you know, what's done is done. And it's exactly what you just said. To them, it was like, you know, what's done is done. I can't change what happened to me. Yeah. And Do you mean the... Yeah, the victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this child is maybe a positive light mm-hmm. in my life. A new beginning, sort of. Motherhood could be a new beginning. Mm-hmm. So there is, there are some women who think that, what you're saying. Yeah. But then there are also some girls, like, or underage girls or women who are raped. And for them, it's such a traumatic experience. They can't overcome that. Like, if you think about um, uh, an incident that happened in Argentina not long ago was when an 11-year-old girl got raped by her grandfather, grandmother's um, boyfriend. And as a result of that, she was pregnant. And once her mother realized it, her mother took her to the hospital and she was eligible for abortion. Mm-hmm. And under Argentina's law, she was eligible too because okay. she was subject to sexual violence and rape. But there, even though it was legal social stigma behind abortion and that actually was something that even the doctors were just like no they don't didn't really want to so a lot of the time what happened was they were delaying the abortion and they were telling the girl's mother and the girl that we're giving you vitamins but that was actually um steroids for fetal development for lungs development and well that's not very honest exactly exactly right Mm -hmm. and um, and that translates because a lot of people think that you know even though it's legal it's just the social stigma behind abortion and because they keep kept delaying the abortion i think it went up to 20 um 23 weeks of pregnancy and by that time the child was just saying i want what he put inside of me what he put inside out of me and imagine an 11 year child saying that's not great right so by that time, they had to bring in another private clinic doctors, and they were like, you know, this should have been done earlier. Mm-hmm. And the only option then was not an abortion. They had to do a C-section. And once the child was delivered, he didn't even live. And here you see a child, and the mother, in this case an 11-year-old girl, had to undergo a lot of mental trauma 
because mm-hmm. she wanted this abortion, right? So these are two examples of women who can be subjected to rape and sexual violence. And there's one kind where, as you're saying, that to them it might be a new beginning, yeah. right? As long as and hopefully if they can get the support and resources to help this, help themselves and their child in this new beginning. But there could be other women too that for whom this might not be a new beginning. They want a new beginning by ending this chapter. They want abortion so they can move on in life. But it, I, I just don't think it's fair to generalize yeah. overall victims yeah. of rape. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go back to being myself. <laughs> right. Yeah, can can we was... just say that, yeah. you know, great, like, Sarah? <laughs> because I hope, you know, that, that, was a ho- that was our objective, right, yeah. for listeners, that we do this, pro-life pro-choice and even though we're yeah. both pro-choicers and Zara is a pro-choice supporter yeah I think you did a great job Thanks. it was hard <laughs> yeah but if I was pro-life to that to the story you said about Argentine the Argentinian girl if I was pro-life I'd hope that the person's next reply would be that there has to be a case-by-case basis to something like this that rape there might be an exception to rape for abortion that there might be an exception to a specific case-by-case. Because case. Mm-hmm. an 11-year-old child being forced to deliver a child that was provo- that was given, that was put inside of her as a result of rape is kind of very... Tragic. Very, yeah. very disappointing yeah. that she'd have to go through that. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping that whether you're a pro-life supporter or a pro-choice supporter, you, at that point, she would have been allowed that yeah, abortion. Yeah, I mean... Because it's a specific... It's a, it's it's a, a unique it, case. It's a child, too. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify... The pro-life answers or the pro-life beliefs that we are that we mentioned in these debates are from the Campaign Life Coalition website. But we just wanted to make clear that the replies that we're giving as pro-life supporters, or that I gave as a pro-life supporter, was from the website. Yeah. The pro-choice arguments, on the other hand, were a combination of my shows and mine's beliefs. Something and that we, discuss, and yeah, we discussed yeah. beforehand. And essentially, and, yeah. yeah, it just went organically from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing that we want to discuss is where do men play into this debate? Because that can get very controversial. You know, if you go on Twitter, if you go anywhere, you have many people calling out men for even having an opinion, and then many people saying they're not doing enough and they're not voicing their opinion enough. And, you know, I think Masha and I both believe that we want men to be vocal. Oh, and yes. We, yeah, absolutely. We, and we want men to feel like they have a voice in this argument mm-hmm. because we are living in a society where... There are men, there are women, there's people with other genders. So we are all, we all need to be involved in each other's discussion. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you need to be more vocal about supporting women's rights. And, and in a way that doesn't deny them their rights, you know. So most of the policymakers in this, in these debates are usually men. So <laughs> men being more vocal about us is important. Not just so that they can go back to the table and be there to support women but also because they need to influence more men policymakers when it comes down to, say, in a relationship, in a relationship that, say, that consists of a male partner and a female partner, while you are having a child together and while you both have an equal say in whether or not you get to keep that child, whether you give that child up for adoption or whether or not you even have that child, while it's important that your voice is heard and that your opinions are heard, you have to understand that while 50% of the child is yours, or the potential child is yours, 100% of the body mm-hmm. that's going through the pregnancy, that's going through everything, is the woman's. So there has to be a bit of a weighted a weighted decision-making yeah. on her. Yeah. yeah. And the way I see it, the woman is the lead protagonist in this mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. And the man is the lead supporting character. Well put, well put. So you have to be in the picture. You have to be part of the movie or the mm-hmm. narrative 
you know, as much as, you know, I feel like some, some I, because it's such a sensitive point, I feel like a lot of men think that, oh, maybe it's better we just stay quiet mm-hmm. because it is up to the women to decide. True, but we you would want your support. Like yeah. if, it, if it was me in this situation, I would want my partner to yeah. voice his opinion because yes, it is, as you said, very well put, by the way, 100% my body, but it's, it is 50% of your child. Yeah. So I want it to be a joint decision making. Mm-hmm. Where we both are putting, you know, have our inputs. Yeah. So, at the at the end of the day, men do not bear the physical imp- complications and the struggles of childbearing, nor do they face the limitations of childbirth. Agreed. Yeah. But they are part of the process because mm-hmm. you are the father. Yeah. So I think there has to be a bit more understanding of the many complications and hurdles a woman faces when making a decision to take undergo an abortion. It's not as simple as saying just saying killing a child, and you know, and it's not as simple as oh this is so complex it's all about a woman let's just leave the women to debate on this yeah men should be involved and i do think there are a lot of men who do want to be involved who do think that you know they should just help their partners make their decision at the end of the day it is their partner's choice Mm -hmm. to make the decision but they should help and do voice yourself like that yeah It's, it's all about acknowledging that it is the person carrying the child is their body mm-hmm. and it's their choice. Yeah. But as a partner, you need to support them. Yeah. And even if it's not as a partner, but just as a male who has an opinion on this mm-hmm. or who has, who believes that a woman has a mm-hmm. right to her decisions, who has a right to her body, who has a right to basically be an equal, you should voice your opinion mm-hmm. in supporting women. Yeah. 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 Okay, so now I think we want to go into more about what we think about... What each of us... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) each of us think about this pro-choice versus pro-life debate. Um, As I mentioned in the previous debate, I was pretending to be... Or not pretending, I was role-playing to be a pro-life supporter. But in reality, I do believe in choice for choice when it comes to this. In my opinion, choice... Pro-choice kind of covers everything, in my opinion, in the sense that you you have the choice you don't necessarily you don't have to get an abortion if you don't believe in abortions but at the same time if you are in a circumstance that you believe abortion is the best choice for you you can make that decision for yourself you know i don't believe we should villainize each side but mm-hmm. i think that well, choice is a good word yeah yeah i don't want to we don't need to villainize each side we can like i can sit here and talk to somebody who completely does not believe in abortion and that's her choice and so I don't have to be like, no, you're wrong. And she can't tell me that, no, you're wrong for mm-hmm. wanting to get an abortion or for believing that somebody who gets an abortion is not morally or ethically corrupt or whatnot. So I don't know. I think it's personally okay not to believe in abortions and to congregate with your community of like-minded people and discuss why you don't believe in abortions. But I just don't see why governments have to regulate so much or have to put such restrictions mm-hmm. to abortion because... Are your beliefs so important to you, like your belief of, or your religious beliefs or your personal beliefs of not believing in abortion? Is it so important to you that you make a percentage of your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends, you make them go through such miserable, mm-hmm. such a miserable time when they decide yeah. that they want a abortion? Do you really want to cut access to that abortion? Do you really want them to take such drastic measures to get an abortion when it's just your belief like they also have a belief right so why don't you move towards prevention why don't you move towards removing the stigma and trying to help with mental support 
trying to help through sex sex education, trying mm-hmm. to help through more education about contraception and more availability of contraception. So I think a pro-life movement should maybe focus more on removing stigma, move, focus more on prevention, contraception, and sex education, you know, to prevent the need for abortions. Nobody wants to get an abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a situation that happens to them, and in that circumstance, they choose it or they don't choose it, right? Yeah. 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 No, I think, mm-hmm. well put. Um, for me, the way I look at it is that there should be some sort of regulation as to, you know, like, abortion can be done, like, you know, with no restriction as to reason up to 24 weeks or, you know, I mean, at the end of the thing we talked earlier that yeah. we, we don't really agree on late-term abortions, like 35th week yeah. or 36th week. Um, so I don't, so there it is, I, I think that would be some common ground. Mm-hmm. with some pro-life supporters because they don't definitely they don't support such late-term abortions yeah so the way i look at it is no woman or no woman with her partner looks at abortion as a plan b pill yeah it's not no, something no. that oh shit you know i'm pregnant gotta get it done and you don't yeah. think that it's just an option at the back yeah. of your mind always yeah there's a thought process behind it's, it exactly it's you're not as cavalier about it so it's important to consider in this debate that when you're talking about the life, when you're talking about the unborn, the life of that unborn, mm-hmm. and I'm putting this in quotation marks, yeah. um, it doesn't end after childbirth. Birth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's life begins after childbirth, yes. or to say continues after childbirth. Mm-hmm. So it's important to consider all the other external factors that play into make shaping this life. So at the end of the day, right now, each side is talking about their own stance, right? Yeah. And they're saying why we're right or why you're wrong. And we're very much very entrenched in our stance. But the way I look at it is it's important to address the long-term um, policies mm-hmm. that would bring long-term benefits yeah. and that would may not uh, give rise to these situations. Like as you mentioned, like sex ed or in the event that a woman has to go undergo abortion, there should be proper mental health counseling. Yeah. You know, so those have to be considered and it is important because you have to consider that it's very easy to say, don't abort, this is wrong, this is ethically wrong, you're mm-hmm. killing the child. But once the child is born, it is the responsibility of the mother yeah. or the person who is bearing the child. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to just say a quotation by um, Joan Chittister. She's a Catholic nun, and she's a lecturer and author of 50 books, um, holds a PhD from Penn State, and she's a research, research associate at Cambridge University. She said something that actually re- it resonated with my own beliefs. Mm-hmm. She said that, I do not believe that just because you're a post-abortion, that makes you pro-life. In fact, I think in many cases, your morality is deeply lacking. If you all you want is a child born, but not a child fed, not a child educated, not a child housed. That's pro-birth. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she said, adding that society could not benefit from a more broad, you know, society could benefit from a broader, more complex conversation yeah. on the subject. So I don't think it's as it's just about pro-choice or pro-life. Yeah. It should not be about you versus me. Yeah. There are bigger issues at play that need to be addressed. And if if you're so against abortion just because you're thinking about killing a life or killing the unborn then and this is a question that i really would like to ask the pro-life supporter why do you not oppose in, vi- in vitro fertilization because okay. that is about uh fertilizing a sperm with an egg yeah in a laboratory yeah and when that process is usually done a, a lot of like hundreds and thousands of embryo embryos 
embryos which are defined as life by pro-life, pro-life supporters, supporters yes. at conception. Mm-hmm. In in vitro fertilization, a lot of those embryos get thrown away. Mm-hmm. So why is there that so much considered. opposition to abortion where you give one embryo in question yeah. or one life according to their definition in question mm-hmm. and under IVF, in vitro fertilization, there are so many lives being thrown away yeah like that's a good question yeah that's a good question and basically like i agree with what you said it's all a what if right like Mm -hmm. even while we were debating for every point i made you made another point saying but what if yeah what about this circumstance yeah or what about that circumstance Mm -hmm. so i feel like there's so many what ifs in this debate that you cannot just put a blanket ban on something you cannot just be like so abortion is banned yeah except for a woman's life and you don't even fully define yeah. what you mean by saying saving mm-hmm. a woman's life. So I really don't think like that's where I get the most confused about whether or not we even should put a time mm-hmm. timestamp on whether or how much we regulate. Like right now, I know like Roe versus Wade was viability, which is about twenty four weeks yeah, or something like weeks. that. And then the most extreme bills try to go for say no time exception or six weeks. Yeah. Which six weeks you barely even know. Sometimes women, yeah. women don't even know they're pregnant until like mm-hmm. sometimes eight or 12 weeks into the pregnancy. Yeah. And then the, the problem with trying to create regulation with where you ban, ban abortion is that the punishments that come along with it, you know, the punishments for the physicians who provide you the abortions, that's also a what yeah. if. Like what if, you know, like there's so many what ifs and even in the case of like say a woman who had a miscarriage, right? There's mm-hmm. a what if there as well. Like, maybe she had a natural misca- miscarriage, but in a court of law, it could be argued that she premeditated that miscarriage. It could be, like, yeah. an abortion, yeah. Yeah, and, like, right now, many anti-abortion um, regulations, they say, no, 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 we're not going to put the blame on the mother. We're not going to say that she... Um, it's going to be on the physician. But at the end of the day, in a court of law, anything can be argued. You can yeah. say that she tried to premeditate that so, miscarriage. I think... If you don't, like, if there's no answer to the question, when does life begin, yeah. then the all these arguments that we're talking about, nothing is certain, yeah. really. Yeah. So what that means is, because our arguments are not really certain, yeah. let's be There's real. no consensus, as you, Neither as you side, said. There's right? no scientific exactly. consensus on when life begins. Exactly. Yeah, and I think about it, like, if I truly knew when life began, like, say I knew 100% that life began at conception, and that, that unborn child, the fetus, is feeling pain, if I knew that it's developed, if I knew that I'm killing a life because it has been defined scientifically as life, yeah. I don't think I'd be okay with getting an abortion or get be okay with ending that pregnancy. Like, but at the end of the day, it's like there's no consensus. Yeah. And because there's mm-hmm. so many what if, it's, 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 it makes the conversation much more difficult if pro-choice and pro-life just keeps moving more farther and farther apart Yeah, because that gives us no solution. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the cost of all this is just women who are either not being able to access abortion, whose lives are being changed mm-hmm. uh, by legislation that they didn't want. Yeah. And it, there are lives here at stake, right? Yeah. Born or unborn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, I think yeah. it's important to try to understand the other side. Sure. and be Because that is the first step after sitting down and having a discussion together. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, I hope that helps. Yeah, <laughs> we might have confused listener. you more. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, that's a, there's a reason this topic is sensitive. There's a reason this topic is controversial. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it for tonight. See ya. Mm-hmm.